I, I, I'm sorry. I absolutely hate when Ronnie takes out the little blog talk radio thing, and I don't know when to start talking. Um, welcome to win some, lose a little. <clears throat> this is our third episode, our third week of having, I guess, something to brag about. Um, and um, I will get into that shortly. But um, I've got a lot on my mind right now. Mostly it's just technological problems. I absolutely hate Microsoft. I just want to say that. So if for some reason I cut out, I apologize. But for some reason, my computer decided not to work today. All right. First thing first, congratulations to the Toronto Raptors, the 2019 NBA champions. Um, Not a lot of people obviously expected them to win going into the season, let alone going into the actual finals. Um, I mean, Injuries happen, and and it was just too much for the uh, Warriors to overcome, uh, spe- especially when Klay Thompson went down um, at the end there. Uh, it, it was just too much. Um, so congratulations to them. I don't know anybody that cashed in on a future pick with the Raptors. I haven't seen anything about it. Um, <clears throat> like the guy from the St. Louis Blues who played them at, I think it was 250 to 1, you want like a hundred thousand dollars, so I haven't seen anything like that on the uh, on the Raptors. So um, it, it's a good win. I mean, you know, if you if you played them to if you played them to win, just outright, even yesterday you made profit. I, I mean, the Raptors were profitable this entire series. Um, I faded them game two, um, but I didn't didn't go back to the well after that. So I was just an observer last night. Didn't really know how to call it. Um, obviously didn't anticipate Clay getting hurt, but the line was at three and I was just a little hesitant. So I probably would have played the Warriors. I just figured or felt like they were going to um, force a game seven. But luckily, you know, I've been learning not to play every little thing that pops up. I'm still trying to get a hang of that with baseball, but for the most part now, I'm a little bit more selective. Um, The only issue that I have with that strategy in particular is that a lot of times when I overthink it, I I pick the wrong game. So if I've got four games to pick and I'm a little hesitant whether to play one or or all four, um, I'm just, I'd rather just play all four just to see if I was in the ballpark rather than banking on getting the one play right. Um, and I guess some people would probably say that's kind of weird. I, I mean, the way I look at it, I look at it like this. If I feel really, really confident about something, then I'll go ahead and just play that. But for the most part, all my plays that I pick, I, I can't just look at three picks that I'm, that I'm thinking are going to hit and be like, well, this one has the probability of this. And I don't know how some people do it, but either way, there are some things that occasionally come by that you feel comfortable with uh, putting down as a Um And then other plays are you just, you know, it's a, it's a gambler's play, you know, it's a coin flip. So um, that being said, we'll get a little bit more into that with baseball and WNBA. Let's start with the gloating part. Uh, All-star members were privileged enough to get my Belmont Stakes pick, 12 to 1, Sir Winston, um, actually 12.5 to 1 at the time that I played it. But either way, 12 to 1, Sir Winston wins. Um, I I mean, I don't know how else to say it other than I don't know how I get these, these horse picks right, honestly. Um, I'm just, I'm just thankful, I guess. I, that's my, this is my second, uh, triple crown or third triple crown, actually, where I've successfully guessed, um, the winner of every three, of all three races. Now in the past, um, it was kind of easy, you know, we had Justify and then, uh, I think the, I came in at the tail end of American Pharaoh's run, but, uh, for the most part, it, it was a little bit more easier to, to guess the plays than, than what I did this time. Now, I still stand on the fact that I think maximum security um, <laughs> would have been would have been the uh, winner had they not disqualified him from the Kentucky Derby. I really think he had a good chance to win the uh, 
the entire thing. One, because maximum security had the Derby run pretty much down pat. I think it was the Florida Derby winner or, uh, and he just, he just ran the type of race. I felt like could have won the the Kentucky Derby, which is why I picked him. And then for the Preakness being the shorter run, he had the pace to, uh, to win a race like that and and the stamina to, to carry it all the way through. And then, um, I think the Belmont would have been a little tougher for him, <clears throat> but the thing about him is that he generally uh, was fast enough to keep up with the pace setter and uh, able to assume a stalking position if necessary. But I, I don't feel like he would have had to do that in that race. I think I think it would have came down to to basically what he had to do in the Kentucky Derby, and that is get the lead and then fight off uh, a late charger, which in this case was Sir Winston. Who, who just ran a beautiful race, man. Um, I watched him run what they call a Peter Pan at the Belmont. Um, I, I usually go to YouTube. YouTube is the best when it comes to horse racing. There's so many videos and uh, and people's, like, commentary on the horses. So I always read the commentary first, um, like, you know, stuff online. I don't have any any, like, actual specific website that I go to. But I always look for commentary on the horses first. Always look uh, at whether or not the jockeys have some experience or, or whatnot, if if this jockey's new to the horse. And then I go watch the previous races that the horses uh, won. And I typically look for something that's close to the same distance as what they're about to run. So the Kentucky Derby, uh, I think one of the best uh, Kentucky Derby, like, precursor races would be um, – the Florida Derby, and then um, for the Preakness, I mean, you, Preakness, I honestly just look for horses that are fast, um, and then um, for the Belmont, typically, I like the, obviously, the win in the Kentucky Derby, because the Belmont's a, a little longer, but um, you also want to look at horses that have ran at, um, in New York at, at the Belmont, so um, I saw Sir Winston run the Peter Pan. It was like a, I think it was four horses. He didn't run. He didn't run hard at all, actually. Which is the the funniest thing about what I watched was it was it was a pretty good distance on the race. Uh, it was I think it was the same track. Obviously, it was at the same. Uh, uh, yeah, I think it was the same track. But either way, one thing I noticed is that his jockey never pushed him, and Sir Winston cruised all the way to the end. And then made this really late charge and got uh, second or third place. But but the charge that he made was just so incredible. Like, he was so fast when he actually put it into gear. And, again, the, the jockey never touched him. So, um, taking that into consideration, uh, I made my pick. He had, he had good pedigree, which is something that I take into account as well. Um, <clears throat> so, he had good pedigree for distance. Um, he, he was definitely a uh, a heavy stalker, um, but but just his overall speed when he when he um, decided to run horses down, it was pretty impressive. So uh, I took him, and um, it it paid off for me. Obviously, twelve to one, great win. Uh, with that being said, um, I might try. I think the Breeders' Cup is the next big race that a lot of people. Uh, Looking to, I've never bet the Breeders' Cup, uh, but I, I would take on the challenge. I think I would I would like to give it a try and, and take a look at it and see what's going on uh, from that standpoint. And obviously, any pick that I make goes to the All-Star group. So if you're a part of the All-Stars, um, I can't stress enough that I think people should join. If anything, you could at least talk to me about what you bet on if there are other cappers out there because I'm, I'm open to learn and open to share my information and so forth because – Ultimately, when it comes to sports gambling, there's really no no winner or loser or competition in my mind. I mean, as long as we all win, then that's great. I don't ever want to just be somebody that take, take, takes. But if you know something that I don't, by all means, definitely share it because um, I would definitely share uh, what I see and what I know. And then ultimately, it's us against the house. So I don't, I don't know. I think sometimes people get too competitive. I, I don't really care. <laughs> I just want to win, man. So, um, and I think that's how everybody should be. We should all just want to win. So, um, definitely don't want to just be freeloading people 
um, and and give people like plays all the time because uh, people are there's a lot of leeches out here and if you get on a good run all everybody wants to do is is take your picks and the first time you lose they all just complain so um, I don't think people realize how much work goes into capping and I'm just an amateur capper I can only imagine uh, what the pros actually go through but um, I was thinking about last night how my mentality has changed as a sports capper. I stayed up till about eleven thirty, eleven forty-five. Watched the end of the uh, the Raptors game, and I probably didn't need to stay up that long. I probably could have just turned it off right after um after Clay went down because it was virtually over, uh, or after they started playing the box and won the game. But I don't know. I just you know as a fan and just somebody that just wanted to, to witness what would be history in the sense that I think this is the first Canadian basketball team to win the championship. Um, and, and it was, it was special for uh, Kawhi Leonard, obviously. Um, and it's almost kind of like a, um, a, a coming out party in the sense that Kawhi is now um, considered a superstar. I think we used to have this argument in the group a, a while ago about whether or not he was a superstar. And um, I think even pop, kind of hinted that he wasn't the, the type of guy that you could really lean on to uh, to lead a team. But um, here he is. And, and um, like I said, because of that, I wanted to witness it, see it through. But the minute that game went off, the minute that game went off, I went straight to looking at baseball lines and the scores from last night's uh, baseball game. And uh, I was just laughing to myself because I used to not be that way. But, I mean, I was up till about 145 last night. And I'm looking at lines and highlights and, and some stats and kind of went to sleep. But then I turn around and 10 o'clock, I got to check WNBA lines, see what's going on there. So it's just it's just um, to be successful, you got to put the time in. And I think um, sometimes people don't understand how much time goes into the sports capping. Uh, for, for people like me that work a 9 to 5 or shoot, even some of the pros, like this is their life. This is what you do. You can't really have many relationships outside of that as far as friends or or um, special folks. Like, I got a family I got to take care of, so I did, um, give them their time because, obviously, it's my family. It's an obligation, and, and I love them. But then there's also some things like hanging out with friends, playing PS4. Like, I love to play my PS4. I haven't touched it today because I had to come home, and I had to watch the U.S. Open. I got to see my golfers play. You know, I got to see – who's playing well just because this is money that can be made uh, for the future. So I could have just came home and just said, forget it. I put my picks in. I'll just look at the outcome overall. But there's something about seeing things play out live um, that really helps, I think, um, get you over the hump when you're slumping and stuff. So um, <clears throat> prime example, um, after I won the uh, the Belmont, like I said, Big win. Cool. It was great. Awesome. Everybody's happy. We're all winning. Yay. Uh, fast forward, uh, probably had one of my roughest, like, two, three-day stretches with baseball um, to the point where I was losing, like, every half half game by, like, literally that. So, like, let's say if it was a, a line of eight and a half, I was, I was always getting eight. Or seven and a half, I was always getting seven. Nine and a half, I was getting nine. And then there was a couple games in there where I just got like two runs and I was had to over ten. So, uh, and and you get that with baseball. As one of my friends said, baseball is going to baseball, and that's true. Like that's part of of capping baseball. You're not always going to win. Um, but with that being said, um, right before I was about to um, to to take some time off, I ended up getting um, somewhat of a gift from the Minnesota Twins, and I got an over. And then um, that kind of sparked me to to play some more, um, and I ended up going four and one, and 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 just rocked out that day. Um, so <clears throat> baseball, like I said, it, it comes and goes. It's, it's difficult, uh, but you you have to stick with it. You have to stand by it. Um, so one of the biggest trends, and I keep talking about this, and I don't know if people are listening, but one of the biggest trends in baseball right now is the Arizona Diamondbacks. They can hit people. They can hit. Their their bats are the real deal, Um, whether it's home or away. It used to be that you could only really get them hitting uh, when they were at home because of the 
the um, altitude. But the Arizona Diamondbacks are cranking the ball, especially against left-handers. They are a top two (laughs) team in the major leagues batting against left-handed pitchers and also on the road against left-handed pitchers, just dominating. Um, I made a a killing off of them this past week. They had some some matchups that was just incredible, and and, um, they were kind of getting disrespected. And on teams that that I see um, with with, with the Diamondbacks, it's kind of just the – the um I guess it's just it's just um the the combination of of like perfection and the fact that they're as a team against left handers on the road they bat about three hundred. Now <clears throat> just to give me an idea of why that's kind of not relevant, um if you look at the batting average of the St. Louis Cardinals, I think against left handed pitchers, uh it's fairly good. It's fairly good. It's, it's not awful. It's, it's I think it's top. It's top fifty percent. But then you look at their RBIs and it's the bottom like third. So um, what good does it do if you're hitting if you're not scoring runs? So with that being said, if you look at the Diamondbacks, not only are they hitting but they're scoring runs. They got power. They they've got forty homers, which is the uh, which is first in in major leagues uh, versus left-handers. They got forty home runs. They've got. Um, they got a 295 batting average, and then they are top three in RBIs. So, like I said, it's like the perfect storm uh, for that team. And uh, you, you'd be hard-pressed to find a trend like that and you not play. And you're getting lines with these guys at four and a half. And and, and against some lefties that, that struggle, I'm trying to think of somebody that they played against not too long ago um, that, that I would say uh, – had good value, but it was not necessarily that great. But either way, you, you've got to jump on those opportunities. Um, something that I'm noticing in Major League Baseball right now, too, is that our traditional aces that, that people usually ran from, uh, the Scherzers, the Bumgarners, the Kershaws, uh, the, Chris has come around a little bit over the last month. but um, So I won't throw him in there uh, just yet. Um, but shoot, Syndergaard, uh, he's another one, and um, the Grom's kind of finding his way. He's okay every now and then. But either way, some of our more traditional aces are Kyle Hendricks, who's not necessarily a traditional ace, but he he was virtually unhittable. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, last year. Um, they're very vulnerable this year, and, and, and like with Chris Sale, he was awful in April. Uh, velocity was down and. And they kept making all these excuses about him needing to uh, kind of get some reps. And, and, you know, this was his spring training. And, and then there was like, oh, maybe he's got a dead arm and, and all these other things going on. And and I did pick on him for a while, but he's kind of turned the corner. The velocity came back up a little bit. But primarily the control is there. Um, so I had to back off of him just a little bit here. Uh, but the Bumgarner's got a four ERA almost. Um I think right-handed hitters are, are batting like in the high 200s against them. Uh, he's even giving up hits to lefties. It's, it's not the Madison Garner we're used to see. Excuse me, used to seeing, and it's like you you have to play these lines. Now the counter to that, um, unfortunately, is that the San Francisco Giants are probably the most disgusting team in Major League Baseball. They can't hit worth a lick. So if you play an over uh, against Madison Bumgarner, let's say you get a line of like seven and a half, eight. They're usually around like eight, eight and a half. But when you play that, you're going to need the uh, opposing team to get you at least six runs of the eight or maybe seven of the uh, eight and a half for it to push over just because the Giants' offense is really that bad. So where do you find value on these games? Um you find value in the run line a little with the well actually not the run line the spread uh they they're giving um a run and a half usually with baseball I think that's the universal thing a run and a half uh sometimes half a run uh for the first five but either way those are the spreads like uh I think those are you know, where you target you even target the money line uh first five or full game because like I said you're getting a team that struggles hitting uh tonight it's not 
uh, it's not a Bumgarner, but it's uh, it's Pomerantz. All right, so Pomerantz is a lefty. He's god awful uh, so far, and, and he could just he could turn it around. I mean, he plays in a hitter. I mean, a pitcher friendly park in AT and T, so he could turn it around. But he's playing a team that crushes left-handed pitching to a degree, and that's the Milwaukee Brewers. And the Brewers are hot right now as far as their bats. Now, Zach Davies, um, I think the last start I watched of Zach Davies was when him and Castillo from um, the Reds played a game, and it was like 6-6 in the fifth. (laughs) It was like the wildest game ever. Uh, I don't read too much into that. Zach Davies has been really good this year. He's going to have to show to me uh, that he's really – uh, like he really can't pitch, and honestly, anybody that's pitching at least a three ERA right now, I would back against the the uh, San Francisco Giants. Like they really are that bad at hitting the ball. So you're getting a lot of value on the Brewers tonight um, in in um, San Francisco. The line last I checked was under a uh, dollar and fifty cent uh, favorite for the um, for the Brewers. And I, I get it. the Brewers' bullpen isn't necessarily the greatest thing ever, but I mean, what's what's like what's better, a bad bullpen or some bad bats? The way I've seen the Giants play this year, honestly, I favor the bad bullpen or the bad pitching. Like they really struggle hitting the ball, and and this could come back to bite me in the butt because, like I said, baseball is baseball. Uh, like my friend said, baseball is going to baseball. But those are the type of lines that uh, when you see, and it's not that it's necessarily too good to be true, but you, you have to back the better team there. Like it just makes too much sense not to take your shot at a line like that, uh, especially in baseball. I would expect that to be a dollar and seventy-five to one type favorite. So 1.75 to one favorite or something of that line. And it's under a dollar and fifty cents. I mean, you gotta, you gotta shoot your shot there. Um, now, with that being said, because those bats are bad, this might be a series that you want to look at taking the Brewers. The Brewers are not necessarily the greatest road hitting team, but with Christian Yelich in the lineup, they've always got a chance to really do some damage. And um, I think tonight is one of those nights where you can do some damage facing the guy that's got a six ERA. He struggles. Um, Usually the second or third time through lineups, it's just a good it's just a good matchup. A, a, a perfect situation to to take a chance is is right there. Um, now another team that's been kind of under the radar and really doing some work, and I'm I'm kind of kicking myself uh, right now because I didn't play more on them. The uh, Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim or whatever they go by now, but the Angels um, versus left-handed pitching once again and and you you'll find it like I said I'm a trend guy I love to find a trend and hammer 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 but left-handed pitching the Angels are top 10 in um in RBIs against left-handed pitching and and also able to hit home in a way but uh last night I got good value on them actually um at three and a half runs versus uh Yarbo of the uh, Rays, who's a, who's a solid pitcher that they sometimes use um, as an opener, but or I don't know if he's a starter, or what role he plays in their pitching rotation. But either way, he's he's very um, he's very weak against uh, strong left-handed hitting teams. He's a left-handed pitcher himself. All right, so where I drew my conclusion from last night, one, I've watched the Angels quite often, and and. Not bet on them, but watch the lines. Like I said, this is how you kind of make money in baseball. You you find trends. You kind of you don't necessarily have to play it, but keep an eye on it just to see if your hunch is right. So my hunch on the uh, Angels being good versus left-handed uh, pitching um, has come to fruition. They were actually very good against it last year uh, at, in in uh, spurts. Um, granted, not having Upton and Angelton in the lineup definitely makes them a little bit weaker against it. Um, and when Andrelton and, and Upton come back and they're actually hitting, definitely hit that hard. Uh, but um, it was kind of a continuation of a trend that I saw last year, and I just kind of waited for the bats to come around. Pujols uh, obviously is a key player in that as well because they need his power, and it's not what he used to be, but he's he's at least respectable now. Um, so it came around 
and I got this three and a half. They're visiting uh, Tampa. Tampa's actually been pretty friendly to opposing bats, even though their pitching is really good. Um, the opposing bats have found, found a way to get some some runs. Now, case in point to why I like this as a healthy trend right now, Yarbo played the Minnesota Twins. Now, the Minnesota Twins are pretty much the best hitting team in baseball right now. So you can't just take it as gospel. But when you look at left-handed uh, hitting statistics or left-handed uh, pitching st- statistics, the Twins and the Angels are not too far off. Now, the Twins got seven, almost eight off of Yarbrough. Now, if we're talking, we're talking like lineup-wise, obviously it's totally different, but production-wise, much difference between where the Twins are versus lefties and where the Angels are versus lefties. And I'm getting three and a half. Like to me, that's that's a sneaky pick. That's a that's a a good play. Again, an opportunity to maximize your value. So I take it, and in the first inning, the Angels get three runs. First inning, get three runs. And uh, I just happened to get lucky. Otani went for a cycle, but. He hit a three-run homer in the first inning, and then around like the fifth or sixth, uh, he got a triple, and then Albert Pujols hit a two-run homer, and now I got five, and I'm, I mean, the game was only about 45 minutes in, and I was able to go to sleep because I got my, my play, and, and again, there's just, it doesn't always work like that, but again, that sound, sound statistical data is also coupled with what you actually see, and that is the time to, to play it. Um and so I did. Now, today, like I said, I'm kind of kicking myself. Paxton is another guy I guess we could add to that list of people who are historically solid aces and, and usually like fade material. Like you don't go against Paxton. Uh, you definitely don't go against Paxton in Tampa. And that was the deal last year. He was a Cy Young winner. He's not a Cy Young winning Paxton this year. He's not. Uh, he's got occasional control issues. Um, he's given up some some pretty good hits, like people are making solid contact against him. And I'm not sure if it's because like, I, I haven't gotten into like the depths of like spin rate and things of that nature, but uh, I know when you when you have control issues and, and, and you start kind of trying to tinker with things, it makes you a little bit more susceptible to hitters. So I want to say the Angels were at two and a half runs or something like that. I can't remember, man. I don't know what I was thinking, but that was, again, an opportunity for you to maximize my play. But I also think I overvalue the Rays versus left-handed uh, pitching. But the, the seven was so low, and I was like, well, I'll probably get like four or five out of the Angels. Um, or worst-case scenario, I get four or five out of the Rays. I still can't figure out their bats, but I get four or five out of them, and I know the Angels are going to give me at least three, so I get the over. But now I'm sitting over here, and I think the last time I checked, the score was uh, four nothing. Uh, Angels going into the fifth, and I still need my runs from the Rays. So it could it could come later, but, again, it's not there. Um. But like I said, I like it as a as a healthy trend, and and um, it's something that I'm just gonna keep playing as long as I got that opportunity. Um, now, what about uh, the National uh, National League? I got well, all the Diamondbacks in National League. Um, so Diamondbacks are one of my favorite plays in the National League. Uh, the Twins have, the Twins like Twins are one of the best hitting teams in baseball, but they will absolutely drive you crazy because they get their runs so late. It's so frustrating. <laughs> their runs come so late. I, I don't know what to do, man. Like, it it really bothers me that, that I can't ever, like, you play them at 10, and then they go into the sixth inning, and the score is 1-0 or something like that, but then they end up covering because they have these huge innings uh, where they're scoring, like, five or six runs, and and I think that's kind of what they were last year, except for their batting averages wasn't that good. But it's really hard to to not play a team that, that can hit like that or have the uh, ability that at a moment's notice they can really um, they can really like, like score a lot of runs. Uh, so what I do like, um, what I'm hoping for is. Um, that they come around tonight. 
But I, I'm and they, and they've got great hitting weather in Minnesota too. Is is 80 degrees and the wind's blowing out to left field, so it's um it's one of those uh, anomalies sometimes that you run across. Um, trying to think of another time where I had like the perfect setup and I just could not get any runs and. That's kind of a lot of games this year uh, from time to time. But um, I guess just look at the splits on a lot of these teams right now, um, home and away. Uh, and like I said, I I hammer teams that are good against left-handed pitching um, because a lot of times uh, with, with left-handed pitching, people tend to give them, I don't know why, but people tend to give them a little longer leash. So these lefties get in trouble like Paxson and, and, and even Kershaw and those guys, Bumgarner, they get in trouble in the inning and give up three runs or something like that. And I guess maybe it's because of what we know they've done in the past. But I feel like um I feel like they get they get uh, a longer leash and you can kinda sneak two two more runs out of them a lot of times on the run line. So if you get a three and a half and you, you get you get them good for about two or three you got a good chance of getting those extra runs or those extra opportunities uh, to get guys on base and scoring position, and then they bring in a righty um, to, to face somebody, and then you you kind of um, get like a sack flyer or something like that. It just gives you a better chance, I think. I don't know why. Um, I wish I had uh, something like those more concrete and data, but it's something that I've noticed watching my baseball games is that, um, that these lefties are getting a lot of uh, – a lot of love. So um, I know I keep kind of getting distracted because I'm, I'm watching this WNBA game and I, and I need to switch to WNBA. Um, WNBA, it's I want to say it's easier, but it's not necessarily the easiest just because it's hard to gauge the effort of the ladies and, and, and the, the um, I guess, the talent gap. I feel like I know the talent gap better. In, in, in the male leagues. So that's why it's a little difficult for me. Uh, but one of the healthiest trends right now is obviously home teams versus the uh, versus the spread. Absolutely destroying WNBA. I'm talking like this is the, the healthiest trend I've seen in a long time. I think they're over 60, 65% on wins. Like I, maybe even in the 70s, I guess something crazy. Actually, um, I bet you I still got the screenshot here on my phone. I definitely want to um, to give that information out. Um, and now I will say this, too, is that I'm not necessarily following that trend when I make my picks because I was actually shocked when I seen it because there's a couple games like the other night. I picked the Storm when they were on the road, and they covered for me. And one that I had personally noticed in betting WNBA is that on the West Coast to East Coast trips, um, it's been kind of crazy that uh, – that the second leg of those trips is when the um, the away teams are winning games, so or even like outright winning or covering. Uh, but yeah, so the home teams against the spread this season in, in the WNBA, um, I think this is like from a couple nights ago. Uh, overall, they are twenty-one seven and two against the spread um, as far as home teams. That's insane. Um, now with that particular data though, I I would need a little bit more information. Like, how big is the are these spreads? Because we've got a game like now where the Storm were almost double digit uh, underdogs, and they're tied with the Mystic um, in the fourth quarter. Now, uh, Christy Tolliver is a very important player in the backcourt for the Mystics, and obviously people don't need to know that. But I mean, she she helps. Score. I mean, she's about 17 to 20 plus points. She's got a great relationship with the uh, with the Mystics' best player. She's also a distributor uh, to Deladon, Deladon, and and keeps her uh, in rhythm. So she's an important cog to this team. And she got ejected within <laughs> I want to say within the first like three minutes of the game. So it kind of sucks because uh, I'm pretty sure this game would be over. I, like when she's on the court, like they've got 71 points now. When she's on the court, they're getting about 80, 80, they're like 85 to 90 points at home. So significant uh, drop in their point total um, tonight because of her ejection. But either way, um, definitely like a huge trend that needs to be followed, needs to be paid attention to. Um, I would say for sure any 
spreads that are about a bucket. So between one and three, um, definitely should get plays for the home team. Um, anybody that's got to cover one and three, uh, anybody that's uh, an underdog, if you could find that um, with, with the top teams. So the top teams right now would be the uh, Connecticut Suns, um, the Washington Mystics at home are relatively a top team. But my, if I did a power ranking of my top three, it's the Connecticut Suns, uh, the Las Vegas uh, Aces, and then the Washington Mystics. Um, so the Sparks and um, and Lynx are still kind of finding their way. And the Sparks will probably get better once Candace Parker comes back. But those are my top three teams. So if, if you could, you probably never catch them at, at an underdog unless somebody's really hurt. But those guys are um, are pretty pretty legit at uh, covering the spread. And and those are the teams that you can generally back on these small spreads uh, on the road. Now, you have to be careful because there are certain teams like the Phoenix Mercury who get up for home games, and they're tough anyway, and they can put up points, uh, and they got that. So you don't necessarily want to attack them. But, but some of these, like, Teams that are not good, like the Atlanta Dream the other day, were four-point underdogs to the uh, Las Vegas Aces, and the score was like 31-9 to at the end of the first quarter. Such a huge talent gap between those teams, and it was actually kind of comical that they had the score so low. But WNBA definitely um, taking a turn uh, that favored the, uh, the house more. I've definitely noticed that these games are getting harder to cap, and I've been capping WNBA since the very first regular season game, every single game. Even if I didn't play them, I definitely take a note of the line and whether I play the over-under and things of that nature. So they've been really hard to cap um, <clears throat> over the last couple of uh, days. You know, I had a pretty good – I had a pretty good um, – I had a pretty good uh, – week this week with it but either way it's definitely um a little tough to cap um uh, in the last couple of days and, and i think that's just the, the game kind of shifting so you might see these trends reverse a little bit as the lines get healthier um for uh road teams on the spreads um just like it like i said in this case uh the the storm who are a pretty decent team uh even though they're missing their best player they're still a pretty decent team um came into this game almost 10 point underdogs you have to remember Storm played the uh, played the Mystics last year uh, for the uh, WNBA championship too, so they were motivated. So if this was a male a male game, we would say, oh, this is the perfect opportunity, like a situational play, you know. Uh, but like I said, with the females, I don't really know. I don't know enough about the teams to, to make situ- situational calls unless it's something like uh, when the Sparks were playing New York at 11 a.m. and they just traveled from uh, from L.A. to New York. And had to you know turn around and play a, a a eleven o'clock in the morning game, which is about what seven o'clock over there, eight o'clock over there. So I mean that was the only situational play I could I could make, but I, I just can't really call it. Yet. I don't know if I get that in depth with the WNBA, but it it cashes like I I tell people all the time. You know, I, people make fun of the league, but it's not an eyesore, and and they still cash. So at the end of the day, that's all that matters. Uh, but WNBA overall has been going pretty good. Um, no complaints there. Not really getting much um, from the underdogs, obviously. Like I said, against the spread, you're definitely not getting anything. So if you're not getting anything against the spread, you're generally not getting anything uh, on the money line either. So it's, it's a little it's a little tough in that aspect if you're the type of person that's really looking for the big, big plays. But um, we got 25.7 seconds left. The score is 71-71. Um, I would love for this to go into overtime because I got the over um, 159. Um, so I kind of need this uh, to go into overtime. So I'm I'm a little little concerned here. Uh, she had an open look and she definitely hit it. Seven seconds left. 73 That is unfortunate. Uh, but uh, the Mystics got some good ballers, man. So they'll probably get an opportunity to tie it up. Um, so back to the U.S. Open because I kind of glossed over that. So I was supposed to do a show and, and give my picks out. I really wish I had got the show in, but unfortunately, um, I think it was one of the days that I wanted to do it. My wife worked late, so I um, didn't plan for that, and I forgot about it, so I didn't do it. And then the other night, I completely forgot. 
And then by the time I was about to do the show, the finals were coming on, and I was like, well, nobody's going to listen, and I'm going to be too distracted because I'm watching the game. So I didn't do it then. But uh, my picks for the Open were uh, Kuchar, uh, Woods, Spieth, um, Furyk as a as a uh, underdog play, Cantley, and then obviously Xander Shoffley. So I, I went with six this time. I usually go with five, but Jim Furyk was such a huge underdog. Like uh, I think he was like 142 to five or 142.5 to one underdog. So I've never played anybody that that big of an underdog. It was kind of a, a um. Uh, sentimental play just because I really feel like uh, he was going to show out this week with, uh, with the driver not being in play as much. And then with that uh, being said, Shirik, um to finish top 20, I think is what I saw. Top 20 was like almost 4-1, to one, so I had to play it. Um, but we've got 7.7 seconds left. Um, did she call the timeout? I was about to say she pulled a Chris Weber. Uh, but again, you can really notice the difference in in the Mystics uh, when they don't have Tolliver on the floor, um, and it's something important to note because if she goes down, if she goes down, and and um, again, like I said, this is kind of one of those things where it's important to really watch because if you didn't watch the game, you wouldn't know that she got kicked out of the game, and you would think, oh, the Mystics are just having an off nighter, or they're they're terrible uh, tonight. But in actuality, it's because one of their key players is, is missing. And that was their problem last year is that they couldn't stay healthy. Uh, and it was mostly their main player, which is Deladon, uh, which I guess she would be the three or four for them. But uh, Tolliver plays in their backcourt, and they didn't necessarily um, they didn't necessarily miss her last year because she was on the floor for a lot. But if, say, she goes down, I mean, this is information that we could definitely use because they're going to be heavy favorites at home no matter who they play. And um, it'll be definitely interesting to note. Oh, how do you miss that? How do you miss that? Oh my gosh, she had a wide open layup and she missed it. Jeez. Anyway, it's important to note. Um, just going for it. Uh, that's really a bummer because I had the over there. But uh, that's also the the negative part of playing um, WA again. That talent gap is not. A person in the NBA missed that late, and you know, obviously, probably nobody's watching. But if you've seen it, you would know what I'm talking about. Either way, <laughs> um, so uh, going for again, like I said, the Christy Tolliver thing is something important to note, and and that's probably what I'll close with today. Um, is that you can learn a lot from losses. Uh, so I don't want people to think, uh, you know, when they get in slumps or uh, if you're if you're if you find yourself in a in a, in a bad streak because it happens that's again part of gambling it happens everybody loses at some point um, but sometimes when you have these bad streaks it really does help if you can if you can really watch why you're losing um, so in my case I'm calling baseball games um, and I'm calling them like eight and a half I got the over in it it keeps falling on eight or seven and a half. I got the over and it keeps falling on seven. Um, and, and it was like, it was like a pretty consistent thing for a couple games. Um, so when I see that, it's one of those things where it's like, you got to pay attention. Like, why are you, why are you not getting the extra run? Is it because some teams score late they, or they're like their basket uh, going later? Um, is it because they, don't really make adjustments um, with or like or in this case like a team makes an adjustment to the pitching earlier or something of that nature like there's always a reason and then sometimes it's just unlucky and if it's unlucky then keep making that call because uh, sooner or later it's gonna go in your favor case in point I thought the seven and a half being a seven and the, and the eight and a half being an eight was unlucky I made my call on the twins and then that turned it around like you know I got I got literally got the ball to go my way uh, in that game, and it kind of knocked off a streak and broke me even for the week. So, uh, like this WNBA thing, um, I was shooting 70% in WNBA, actually, uh, before this game. Um, you know, you would love, love to see um, – let's go into overtime. There's a fat chance of that now, but you love for that to go into overtime. And, and then when I go back and um, – 
when I get another line like this, I'm going to have to redo some of my uh, thought process. And now I don't know if I can necessarily be too critical because, again, I know that a, a significant contributor to the Mystics is missing tonight. And, again, like I said, she's good for about 16, 17 points. If I'm looking at this line, it's 144 right now. 16, 17 points gives me the over. You know, and and like that's her average. Like her average is about sixteen, seventeen a night. And in a game like this, where uh, the storm aren't necessarily going to propel me anyway, when I played the over, I was banking on the uh, Mystics to get it for me because, like I said, they generally score between um, eighty to ninety points at home, and and they give up about seventy to seventy five. So the over under was. Uh, Actually, under 160, I think it was like, I think I got it at 159. So, like I said, with that being said, uh, with something like that, um, I felt like it was it was worth the play. So, this is one of the funnier things about um, WNBA, too, is that they just got free throws. She got, I guess it was a tech. She could have got me uh, four points right there. She missed it. Anyway, um might be able to squeeze something out of this. But um again, that's just one of those things where you just you just gotta kinda take it take it as it is, you know. Sometimes it happens and then see a stat line, the Mystics got outscored twenty two to eight in this quarter. Whew, that's tough. That's tough. But <laughs> uh, some readjusting um would be necessary. But either way, um not overall a, a terrible, terrible thing. So I've got a couple more WNBA games going. Um, I've got the got the Lynx and Suns um, over as well. Now with the Lynx and Suns, I, I do know that the Suns have the ability to push pace. So a team like um, Minnesota, who's not necessarily um, being push to score a lot. They play pretty defensively. Um, I think they're, they're going to have their pace picked up because they've got to keep up with the three-point shooting from the Suns. And that's something that um, I use as a strategy for the male, male basketball. Um, and, and again, like I said, WNBA is different. You got different athletes, but you you it's still basketball to some degree. So I, I kind of want to make sure that I can use that strategy. And if I can and I find that that's a healthy trend, then that's going to be great for me. Um, I have noticed that the uh, Suns played another team that was primarily defensive and had some uh, offensive uh, inabilities, and that game went up as high as almost 170. And so, like I said, with that being – and they were on the road, um, and this is a similar situation, similar team, uh, similar scenario. Uh, This line, I think, got as low as 150.5. And so, like, you know, I played the over – which is a slightly contrarian to what I think a lot of people expected. So if I end up getting that, um, you know, it'd be great. And again, that's data collected from another game. Um, so again, you kind of want to make sure you keep mental notes. If you got to write stuff down, you can, I don't write anything down. Um, it's worked for me. I just, I just remember everything anyway. I've always been uh, kind of stat driven and, and recognizing nuances in the games and stuff like that. So if I see something, I don't forget it um, when it comes to to data. So I never write it down, but some people might need to write it down. I know um, one of my friends wanted to keep a spreadsheet on all my picks and stuff, but I'm just, I'm aware enough of my my picks and and my thought process that if something's off, I usually go reevaluate it myself. You know, if I lose something um, baseball, I'm thinking maybe four times in a row, then I go back and kind of reevaluate, readjust. Um, If I need to take a break, I step away from it for a night or two and and kind of just watch the game as a fan again and and soak it in and and, uh, listen to the the radio broadcast and things of that nature when they drop tidbits that you can use for gambling. So, again, readjusting. Um, So I don't want this show to go too, too long, and I generally want it to go about an hour. I think an hour is pretty good. But – um. I think I've given some pretty good information uh, on on my thought process. And, and again, anybody listening, if you guys got feedback, make sure you uh, uh, message me, uh, tag me in the uh, group because I would like to get some feedback. Um, I know most people probably want to know more about, like, NFL, college football and stuff. And so when that that particular season um, does start, um, I will be reaching out to – 
to a couple of guys in the group to see if they want to collaborate and do a podcast and talk about strategies and 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 kind of uh, discuss you know what we like, what we don't like. Maybe make it more of a roundtable uh, so people can kind of get a a better understanding of, of what they like and and um, how people go about doing it as amateurs. Um, there's obviously pro podcasts out there and pros that you can listen to that give you free access to their stuff. Um, they're not going to give you too many plays, but um, I usually let people know I guarantee whatever I give you to play, I'm personally playing. Um, I don't know if everybody else can say that, but it at least helps um, for people to, to know that, um, you know, the guy that's, that's giving them the play is actually putting his money behind it too. Um, so, Closing out, I'm looking at the U.S. Open, and I'm about to be really, really mad because Gary Woodland is going to be leading. Um, I was going to pick Justin Rose as my European player, and <laughs> and I don't know why I didn't pick him. I don't. I mean, did I pick a Europe? I didn't pick a European player, which is dumb on my part. But Justin Rose is going to be my European player, and Gary Woodland was going to be one of my players because of his ball striking, um, which I thought would play a huge factor and negating the wind that you generally get on link design courses in that Pebble Beach. And I don't know. I don't know why I didn't play it or what I talked myself out of or whatever, but I'm kicking myself right now because both men are one and two at the open, and that's going to – could break my streak. Uh, but there's still a lot of golf left. Um, tomorrow is moving day. I still got five golfers who made the cut. Um, so they're in there about five, six strokes behind the leader right now. So, again, moving day uh, can dictate whether or not um, they're going to stand a chance. Uh, but it's, again, all all in collecting data and learning, so I'm not too too upset about it. Um, so if you do have any of your top players, um, I, I'm open to talking to you about hedging. If you, uh, if you message me, I'm not going to be able to get back on and do a podcast on it, but I will add that to next week's episode, um, talking about hedging bets um, and and my strategy to hedging and and, um, something that I don't necessarily always do. uh, But but for larger bets, like uh, with these golfers, um, I know when we we bet the Masters, we had Tiger at 16 to 1, we had uh, Xander at 30 to 1, and then sandwiched between them was Brooks Kopeka and uh, Francisco Molinari, so it's like you got to hedge with somebody. You don't want to take that chance with one of these guys winning. Um, I hedged with Molinari, and I think some people hedged with Brooks, and luckily Tiger ended up winning. But um, that's one of those things where when you're talking about something like golf and these guys are getting 20 to 1, 25, 30, 40 uh, to 1 players, you're going to have to learn how to hedge those bets because the payoffs are just too large to just kind of leave Okay, so we'll talk about that again next week. Um, we'll also talk about hedging future bets, um, how to go about doing that if you if you like future betting, um, especially with the NFL season coming up. I know guys get excited and they want to bet the under on their particular team's um, um, win total for the year. So we'll talk about how to hedge those bets as well. Um, so this has been the third episode of Win Some, Lose a Little. Hope you guys picked up some stuff. Again, just DM me or leave some feedback um, on the threads or just at me in the group. Uh, This is IBS Jesus, and I'll see you guys next week.